Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Tinboom, God's Promise by Mike Evans with permission of Time Worthy Books. And we are on Chapter 3. Papa rode with me on the train all the way to Amsterdam, then hailed a carriage to take us from the station to Garrett and Marguerite's house. We arrived with the trunk strapped on the back. Garrett and a neighbor carried inside and lugged it up the stairs to my room, which overlooked the street from the second floor. Garrett invited Papa to stay for lunch, but he was intent on returning to the shop before noon. My watches are waiting, he said with a smile. I knew what he really meant. We had to say goodbye. Staying for lunch would only draw out the inevitable and make it much worse. I walked outside with him, expecting that he would take a carriage back to the station. But when I learned he was riding the trolley, I hooked my arm into his and accompanied him to the corner. As the ding of the trolley bell drew near, tears filled my eyes. There, now, he soothed. Don't worry about a thing. The doctor will help you get well, and this will all be over soon. Before you know it, you'll be back in your own bed at home. I smiled through the tears. I'll be home before you know it. Then the trolley came to stop beside us, and he stepped on board. We waved to each other, me at the corner, him leaning out the doorway, until the trolley rounded the next corner and disappeared from sight. Back at the house, I had lunch with Marguerite and Garrett, then spent the afternoon unpacking the trunk and putting my things away. Marguerite helped, and talking with her helped me get over the loneliness I felt at saying goodbye to Papa. Early the next morning, we were on the trolley headed towards the hospital. We arrived before eight, and I spent the day with the examinations and tests. The following day, we were there early once more, and the daily schedule repeated throughout the remainder of the week. That Friday, Dr. Trump gave me a concoction made from liver extract and liquid vitamins. Like everything else on the ward, it was new and experimental treatment. It also tasted horrible but I held my nose and gulped it down as fast as possible. Over the next several weeks, I grew stronger. I no longer tired so easily, and my breathing was better. Then one afternoon, as I sat waiting for the lab nurse to draw yet another sample of blood, I overheard the ward nurse talking from the far side of the room. She's so young, but not that young. My sister's only three years older, and she's already married and pregnant. Too bad for Betsy. Do you think anyone has told her? I don't know, but I'm not. It's not my place. No, it's not. But she should be told. I'm sure Dr. Trump will discuss it with her sooner or later. I felt my heart sink, and for the rest of the day, all I could think about was whether I could have children. But Papa always said the truth would set us free. So rather than keeping those worries to myself, I talked to Dr. Trump the next day as he made his rounds through the wards. Tell me something, I began, trying to sound confident. What would you like to know? The other day, someone suggested that I might not be able to bear children because of this disease. Is that true? Well, first of all, he explained, it isn't a disease, it's a condition. So far as anyone can tell, it isn't caused by something from outside the body. It just happens. He was giving me the usual adult response, avoiding the most difficult part in hopes the question would go away. I wanted an answer. But what about babies, I asked. A troubled frown appeared on his forehead. Aren't you too young to be worried about this? I'm 14. 
Lots of girls are married and pregnant by 15. I doubt that will be you, he said with an amused smile. Why? You seem too smart for something like that. He stepped away from the table. But since you asked, I'll tell you. He backed into the corner and took a seat on a stool. Even if we can successfully treat the condition, childbearing would be too difficult for your body, and it would expose you to too many risks. Not the delivery, but the stress of your body bearing a child, of carrying a pregnancy to term. So I can never have children? It's not that you can't have them. It's that you shouldn't. Your body, so far as I can tell, is perfectly capable of conceiving a child, and there's nothing else about you that would prevent you from carrying that child to term other than this condition. So I could have children, but I shouldn't have them. Yes, he nodded. I think you should consider your life from the perspective of making it the least complicated possible and the least stressful. This would allow you to manage your condition the best. Even at my young age, the suggestion that I avoid complicating circumstances didn't ring true with me. I understood what he meant about not having children, but the rest of it was out of step with our family history and with the manner in which Papa and Mama lived out their faith in God. In spite of appearances to the contrary, they were complex people. Our lives were a tangled web of relationships with the people around us. At that time, of course, I wasn't really thinking of it in such an analytical way. I just didn't like the notion of simplifying my life. But the notion of not having children was a different matter. That was a physical issue, a medical issue, and it struck me to the core. I wrestled with what that meant and how it affected me, not just right then in my 14-year-old world, but in the future as well. That led me to the thoughts of Vincent, and that very quickly fantasies of life with him played in my head. Shortly before noon, we returned to the house. As I came to the doorway, Garrett called to me from the shop. There's a letter for you, and I hurried to his desk to find an envelope lying near the corner. Notes from home were always a joy, and I was eager to hear the latest news from Noli, William, and Corey. I picked up the envelope, scanned the handwriting, expecting the familiar script of Mama or Noli. But to my surprise, this was written in a different hand. The letters were straight and lean, but inconsistent in form. Then I saw the return address in the corner, and I knew this note was from Vincent. At once my heart soared as memories rushed to replace the fantasies I indulged since talking to Dr. Trump. And then, just as quickly, my emotions plunged as I remembered that conversation. All of that happened in an instant as I retrieved the letter from the desk. I thanked Garrett for it, clutched it against my chest, and hurried upstairs to my room. When the door was closed, I lay across the bed and carefully pried open the flap of the envelope, being mindful not to tear it. I slid the letter out and gently unfolded it along the crisp, straight creases. Dear Betsy, it began, I hope this letter finds you well and rapidly growing stronger. School today was particularly empty without you. My heart fluttered and tears filled my eyes. He continued with news of our classmates, their struggles with the lessons, and his latest observations of Willem and Noli. Reading it made me homesick for them and opened my eyes to just how deeply I cared for Vincent. It sounds silly now, a young girl taking her first infatuation so seriously, but that's how I thought about it. Vincent had been my friend since we first started to school. 
But as the years went by, our friendship grew deeper into the kind of affection a girl has for a boy and a particular boy. And I was certain that sentiment would only continue to deepen. And if my relationship with him did not culminate into marriage, it would most certainly awaken the joy of finding someone else. And that would end in marriage. And that brought me around again and again to the issue of children. Since my earliest memories, I had dreamed of bearing children, rearing a family and watching them grow from infants to toddlers through adolescence to adulthood, facing their fears with them and reveling in their joys together as we built a life as rich and rewarding as the one I knew at home with Mama and Papa. Only now I knew that that could never happen. So I reasoned, if I could not bear children, then I should never marry. A man would want children, and in spite of knowing my condition, he would pressure me, however tactful or subtle, to give them to him, and eventually, against my better judgment, I would relent. And the result would be tragic for everyone. So I resolved that day with Vincent's letter in my hand, my heart aching for him as only a 14-year-old heart could ache, and with tears streaming down my cheeks, that I would never marry, not Vincent, not anyone. That all made sense to me as I lay on the bed in my room with a letter in my hand. But as the afternoon wore on, my resolve waned. I sat by the window staring down at the street below or off in the middle distance, doing my best to fill my mind with thoughts of scripture Papa had made us memorize or recounting things that Noli and Corey had said. But the more I tried to think of something else, the more my mind became preoccupied with the thoughts of Vincent. Images of him at school and at the times he walked home with us kept crowding my mind. The sound of his voice, the look in his eyes when he smiled, the way his forehead wrinkled when he was lost in thought. Finally, I heard Marguerite call to me from the kitchen. I turned away from the window and walked downstairs to find a cup and a saucer sitting on the table. Thought you might like some tea, she said. Then she poured from the teapot and brought a cup for herself. We sat together a while, sipping tea in silence. Then she set her cup aside and looked at me. So tell me what's on your mind. Not much, I tried to avoid her interest. You didn't say a word on the trolley ride home, and you've been sitting in your room all afternoon. That isn't like you. She paused to take another sip from her cup and then said, Tell me what's bothering you. I talked to Dr. Trump today, I said with a heavy sigh. She looked curious. About what? I overheard some of the nurses talking about what a shame it was that my condition would prevent me from having children. Tears unexpectedly filled my eyes. I wiped them and took a deep breath. So I asked him about it. She reached across the table and took my hand. Aren't you just a little young for that topic? Maybe, I shrugged. But I know girls who are 15 and have their first child already. She smiled at me. That doesn't sound like you, though, does it? That's what Dr. Trump said. I gave her a smile and drew my hand free to wipe my eyes. She took her cup up again. What else did the doctor say? He said that there was no reason why I couldn't do it. Physically, there was no reason I couldn't have children. I toyed with the teacup while I talked. But that stress would be too great. Now Marguerite looked angry. I don't think I like the notion of you talking to him about this. Not at all. Certainly not alone. Where was I when this conversation took place? In the waiting room. I should have been there. He should have sent for me. Perhaps. 
Perhaps is right, she said in an imperious tone. I think I'll say something to him about it when we're down there tomorrow. No, I implored. Please don't. It was just a conversation. Yes, she held her chin at a haughty angle. A conversation that has upset you rather greatly. No, I insisted once more. I asked him to tell me the truth, and he told me. Papa says we should never have to fear the truth, that the truth would always set us free. I just wanted Dr. Trump to tell me the truth. If you talk to him about this, he won't speak openly to me. And if he starts holding things back because he thinks you'll get angry, then I may never get well. She took another sip of tea while she thought about it and then nodded her head gently. Okay, she whispered. Okay. Then in her full voice, I won't say anything this time, but in the future, maybe you should remember to include me on these conversations from the beginning. Yes, ma'am. Where did you leave it with him? He told me and then he left, I explained. That's about all there was to the conversation. But what do you think about? My condition? I think he's right. Having children would be hard on my body. I can sense it just from myself. She must have sensed my quandary because she arched a single eyebrow and gave an amused grin. But? But? I asked, perplexed. But what's the rest of it? My shoulders sagged and I lowered my head. Vincent, I sighed. Once again, she reached across the table and rested her hand on mine. Listen, you don't have to apologize for how you feel. Who is Vincent? A boy in my class. A special boy? Yes, but don't tell anyone. I won't. Does he know he's special to you? I think so. Well, she said with a satisfied look, he's a blessed man to have caught your eye. He must be special indeed. And I would hate to disappoint him, but I think I must. Disappoint him? About what? About children. Oh, she laughed and then quickly tried to recover when she realized I was serious. Perhaps you should let that work itself out. You have plenty of time to decide about that. But I was serious, very serious. Mama said I had been that way all my life, always planning, deciding, figuring things out in great detail well in advance. That's the way I liked it. To see as far ahead as possible so that I had as much time as possible to plan and prepare. When I was much younger, I overheard a teacher describe me as obsessive, and Auntie Anna called it precocious. To me, it was just the way I was. This thing with Vincent was an issue that I would one day have to face. To my way of thinking, it was better to face it now and move on rather than leave it lingering always in the background, casting a shadow over everything else. The thought of it wasn't going to leave my mind until I dealt with it, and so I might as well deal with it now. Next week it will be Chapter 4, and we'll find out the continuing uh, saga of what's going to be happening. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.